Welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. And today we're talking about microcaps. Um, on the podcast with us, we have George Ensor, who is the manager of the River and Mercantile Microcap Fund. Welcome to the podcast, George. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, Stuart. So you're actually the first fund manager um, we've had on the podcast who specializes in this market, but it is a market that a lot of our readers are actually really interested in. So um, it's great to get some insight from a, a professional in the space on, on the dynamics of this particular market. It's a fascinating space. Just to kick off, can you can you give us a quick summary of the of the microcap fund, the River and Mercantile microcap fund? Absolutely. So as you've, you've kind of just said there, what we're trying to achieve is, is accessing a part of the market which is typically inaccessible to institutional capital. Um, so we are looking to invest in a portfolio of about 40 stocks, a quite high conviction in companies, UK listed companies with a market cap of less than 100 million. So that's very difficult to do in a large institutional mandate. That's why we need to be in our, our closed ended structure. And we think that by doing so, by looking at that part of the market, which is often overlooked, we are finding companies which perhaps there's less competition to find, there's less competition for those assets. And so we can get better uh, opportunities. Uh, and also the sell side coverage is is much, much lower. And so we can exploit those inefficiencies in high quality, high growth or turnaround stories, not being particularly particularly well covered in the in the market. And, and the closed ended structure by that, um, for those who are not familiar with it, you're talking here about a, a listed investment trust um, that's listed on the on the London market. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a investment trust that trades on the market. So our our shares trade at a discount or a premium sometimes uh, to our to our net asset value, and that means we don't need to think about daily daily trading units. So we're not. Uh, we've got a we we have a massive mismatch between the liquidity profile of our or we would if we were in an open ended typical um, usage fund have a very large mismatch between the liquidity of our investments and the liquidity that we would need to offer our clients. And so we're in that closed-ended um, structure. The, the, the closed-ended structure actually in, enables us to do something else, which is a, a, a key kind of um, attribute of the trust, which is we've always said, because we're trying to invest with conviction in sub-100 million market cap stocks, that when we've got too much capital, we will return that capital to shareholders. And so we have returned uh, 77 million over the last five years or so uh, to shareholders. We originally started with 70 million. So we've returned all of the IPO proceeds to um, to shareholders. And you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't be able to control the size of your fund if it was a uh, conventional open-ended usage fund. And so that closed-ended structure enables us to... Um, to, to manage the capacity and make sure that we're not trying to run too much capital in in micro caps. And before we before we go any further, can you can you provide a definition of what you what you regard as a micro cap for the purposes of the fund? Yeah, so we we are looking to deploy capital between a free float market cap of twenty and a hundred million. So these are very small listed companies. They're all listed. We don't look at unlisted companies. That is a different skill set. Um, so there are about 400, 450 companies in the UK, remarkably, that sit in that um, that part of the market. Um, and we screen that and we're looking to, to own approximately 10% of them. Now, we are, we are never a forced seller. So we, what we're looking to do, a key kind of um, aspect of the trust is finding 
relatively early stage growth businesses uh, that, that again, the institutional capital might not be able to invest in because they're too small um, and owning those compounding um, high growth or high return on capital or preferably both. And as those businesses compound uh, that revenue growth and capital return, they, they grow, the businesses become larger, their P&Ls become larger, but also they go through those market cap thresholds, which make them uh, more investable to the to the larger institutional small cap sector, and so we tend to see as these businesses go through maybe a hundred million market cap, two hundred million market cap, two hundred and fifty million market cap, we see them becoming um, more investable, and so you get a, a re rating of those shares, particularly if there's still a very clear runway of growth um, to go for uh, in the future. And so, if I was just to to, to use a stock example of, of, of why we do what we do and, and how it can be very rewarding. We invested in an IPO in, in November 2017. It's a business called Keystone Law. You might have heard of it. Um, your listeners might well have heard of it. It's a fantastic business. They are a, a platform for lawyers. So if you're a lawyer and you bill um, in excess of half a million pounds of revenue, you can move from your current firm um, pending being interviewed and, and them taking accepting you into their firm. You can move over to that firm and you will take home 75% of your billings. So that will be a, a, a big improvement on what you would have been paid as a senior uh, lawyer at a, at a law firm prior to, to joining Keystone. And they provide all the services that you would need uh, offices to do client um client engagements, paralegal support, they offer you the brands to operate under, but you're in charge of your own your own business. And that business IPO'd November 2017, the market cap when it IPO'd was 50 million, five zero. So quite difficult for most funds to to access that. But the capital they offered to the markets, the free float was was 15 million, one five. So that's a very, very small business. Um, now it's it's gone from that 50 million market cap to about 150 million market cap. Uh, it's also returned about 25 million of capital through dividends and and um, special dividends. Uh, so we've made a 250% return on that investment to where we are today. Remarkably, the business, the, the market, the small cap market since November 2017 is actually about flat. I think it's up one or 2%. So that's where we are in the cycle. Small cap um, stocks in general uh, have seen a massive derating, and actually Keystone Law has seen a, a big derating as well. It's compounded profit growth much higher than than actually the market has has returned the, the equity return of that business. So you you will find small cap funds that might have a position in Keystone Law, but they'll have to have quite a small position because the liquidity profile of it is is challenging. You're probably not going to find a portfolio of those kind of businesses. And so we think if you can build a, a high conviction portfolio, and we've got about 75% of our, of our NAV, of the assets in our fund, are invested in our top 20 positions. Um, so if, you, if, if we can find 20 to 40, but you know there's some coming in, some coming out, of those kind of businesses that we can own going up through those market cap thresholds and, and let the market re-rate them as they, as they deliver, then we can create lots of value for our shareholders. Um, returning excess capital when we've got it and then you know kind of hunkering down at this stage of the cycle and you know trying to deliver some good performance which is hard uh, but obviously not having that risk of redemptions that you see in in the open-ended sector so that's kind of the what has happened since we IPO'd and and, and where we are now and if we go right the way back to IPO uh, our NAV's up about 82% since then 
shares are, um, have underperformed that because we've got a discount. Um, the small cap benchmark is is up 48%. So we have created um, lots of value in excess of the, the benchmark return. And what happens uh, with companies that you're holding that actually become more successful and bigger and they no longer fit that uh, micro cap template that you've got. Basically, they get you know, the market cap goes up yeah. 200 million. Do you hang on to them or, or are you forced to exit the trade? So it's really important we hang on to those until we think that realization of it becoming a, a conventional small cap stock has finished. So we we own stocks where we think there's a big margin of safety on valuation between what, what we think they're worth and what the market's valuing them at. But when these stocks start to re-rate in the market because they come onto the small cap universe, it's, it's very important that we actually run them as momentum stocks. And we're looking for earnings momentum and technical momentum because there are some large small cap funds out there. And if they decide to put half a percent of their portfolio into a 150 million market cap stock, that is going to drive uh, significant buying demand. And so it is very important we continue to run those winners. So... Our portfolio weighted market cap is about 120 million, so above that 100, but we've got businesses in there that we've bought lower and have outperformed and, and the larger positions tend to be, the larger positions in the portfolio tend to be the more successful ones, which have obviously gone up through the 100 million market cap threshold. But we've actually got stocks in there that we've run to, to much larger market caps. We've actually got an 800 million market cap stock in there still. Uh, it's a fintech business called Alpha International, used to be called Alpha FX. Uh, so we will continue to run those winners until we find a higher conviction micro cap stock that we can recycle those assets into. And in a way, that's been hard recently because there haven't been IPOs and placings, which is normally something that we use to deploy capital. Uh, on the flip side, you've had quite a lot of companies coming down from being small caps to micro caps. And so that's provided us with some opportunities to perhaps pick up liquidity where some of those small cap funds want out of their micro caps and we can we can trade into them at a discount. And when you're looking at these companies, uh, you mentioned earlier on that they're not very well covered. I mean, I'm assuming that with some of them that nobody's actually done any independent research on them at all and that therefore the onus is on you guys to go in and, and make your own decisions without any kind of you know external research overlay there. So you're right to flag the the independence of research because almost all of them have a have a broker and nomad who will write write research, but it will tend to be a couple of pages focusing on the positives. Let's put it that way. Um, that th there are very few micro caps with more than one broker covering them. Again, going back to that point about companies going up through the market caps. Um, and getting re-rated, that's when you tend to see more brokers coming on to the um, coverage. And so they are often coming on to try and pick up the brokership. And that often acts as a catalyst for, for the shares to go on to more radars and, and be reviewed by more, more managers. So we, we actually have a quant system we use for idea generation. So that's how we filter those 450 stocks down to the ones that we want to spend a bit of time reviewing and then obviously building models um, going along and seeing seeing management teams but trying to make sure that we're, we're quite efficient with the ones that we take all the way forward to do the to do the full work on are you seeing a lot of value opportunities in this space at the moment more than more than usual 
So like, the small caps are extremely cheap. So everyone's very, um, you know, it's it's very clear how cheap the UK market is, particularly when you compare the UK market to um, to the US. The US is is expensive, even if you take out the the big tech stocks at the top. It's it's still you know pretty fully valued. The UK is exceptionally cheap. People are very bearish on the UK, and sentiment towards the UK is is very poor. What I think is is pretty remarkable is. The, the lack of small cap performance we've seen, well, particularly over the last two years. So in the in the last two years, small caps have underperformed large gaps by 36%. So that you have to go back to 1989 to find a greater period of, of underperformance. And, and what that's meant is you, you have to go back 10 years for the UK to have a small cap premium. So typically, and one of the um, attributes we're trying to exploit is that small caps grow quicker. They tend to do more accretive M&A. And so you get what's called the, the small cap premium or the growth premium or the liquidity premium, which is the three to 4% per annum that small caps have historically outperformed by. And we did see that. We saw that coming out of 2009. It's very pro-cyclical. So when sentiment is high and, and GDP growth is good and, and, and um, fund managers are getting inflows, the liquidity premium tends to be a bit wider than that 3 to 4%, i.e. small caps outperform by more. Uh, when times are tough, uh, and we've had 24 consecutive months of outflows from UK small cap funds, um, it tends to go into reverse. But the, 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 the extent of the reversal that we've seen over the last two years is not quite unprecedented because you can go back to 1989 and it was 39%, but it is, it is, it is very extreme. So I think the opportunity in small caps is, is kind of once in a 10-year opportunity. And and if you look, there's loads of different ways, obviously, to think about valuation. But if you if you just look at PE, the UK small cap market trades on about eight or nine times at the moment. On the first of January two thousand and nine, it traded on six times. So it was a little bit cheaper coming out of the financial crisis. But the ratio of small cap to large cap valuations is actually cheaper now. So in in first of January two thousand and nine. Small caps traded at 86% of large caps um, ratings. We're currently at about 65%. So again, there's this big divide between large cap valuations and, and small cap valuations. So um, you know, we, haven't, we haven't had a small cap premium in the UK for 10 years. I think that sets up an opportunity like we saw coming out of, of 09, where you got the, the performance of smaller companies from March 09 to September 21 was about 450%. It was double the return of, of large caps. And I think we're setting ourselves up for that kind of opportunity going forwards. Um, and if we get that, the microcap trust is extremely well placed to, to benefit from that because it's the bottom end of the market, which has been hardest hit by, um, by what's happened. And, you know, to to, to bring in our, our, our more recent performance, our, our NAV is about 40% lower than it was in, in the middle of 2021. So we have experienced that, that kind of aversion to illiquidity that, that you can see in the market. And just going back to risk, um, obviously there are many investors in the UK who are familiar with what can go wrong when fund managers are invested in highly liquid uh, micro cap stocks. Can you just say a little bit more about how you manage the risk around the fact that you're actually investing in, in as, as a fund manager in stocks that are, are um, highly illiquid and, and can be difficult to exit if you need to quickly? Yeah, so I guess the, 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 the challenge there is the if you need to exit quickly, which one, you can never guarantee, and two, 
if you know if the the fundamentals of that business or the the sentiment in the market have changed you go from a position where you might have been able to do that to not being able to do that and so i think the way we think about risk is to not to not uh, kind of overlap that illiquidity which is what we're trying to exploit and which is where our returns have really come from over the years with either leverage or or too much risk on a stock specific basis and so by that i mean don't invest in too many loss makers. We want to invest in early stage growth businesses. We don't want to exclude businesses that happen to be loss making because they're going through trough margins. But we don't want to have a portfolio of loss making companies which might ring us up and say, look, we're going to run out of cash in six months if you don't bail us out. So we've got less than 5% of the portfolio. It's actually closer to 2.5% of the portfolio in in loss making stocks. Um, so we're, we're predominantly invested in profitable businesses um we don't want too much leverage in our businesses again you know we've got we're exploiting that liquidity premium so stay away from businesses that are that are too highly geared um about 60 of our, our our fund is net cash um of of the balance about half of it those businesses have very strong asset backing so we, we own a pubs business and they own a large proportion of their their pubs of freehold uh we own some some mining businesses that have got you know large reserves um to to support um a level of leverage we we still don't want too much leverage in those businesses um but the most important point is that we never have to sell um if we don't need to because we've got that closed ended structure and and the one thing just to add on on our capital return mechanism so this mechanism that we return capital to shareholders when the fund gets too large it's a very pro-cyclical um, mechanism because we our, our trust has to be growing and we have to be going up through, we, we've stated uh, always that we will return capital between 110 million and 125 or 30, I can't remember, uh, million uh, of, of net assets. Um, and so clearly for us to get there from here, where we're at about 60, 65, we would need to see tremendous growth in, in our portfolio companies. But we have been here before. We've been at a similar net asset value. I think it would have been in 2018 or 2019. And we returned 35 million in, in 2021. But 2021 was a fantastic time to be raising cash from our portfolio because everyone loved owning small caps and they were being bid for and, and there was you know, significant outperformance of, of micro caps. I think we, we outperformed quite a strong um, small cap benchmark through 2020 and 2021 by about 25, 30%. So again, we, we, are, we never have to sell a, a company because it gets too large and we only need to raise capital from the portfolio when we've delivered some strong performance, which you'll typically find is, is when other people are looking at these assets as well. Um, so I think that we have diversification in the portfolio as well. Of course, we've got 40 stocks, although we are quite concentrated in, in the top 10. Um, but it's really that closed-ended structure that protects us um, from from having to try and raise assets too quickly. Gotcha. And, and do you have a set sort of maximum tolerant for, for debt with companies you'll look at? Look, I, I think we need to be very cautious. We, we don't, and we tend not to have any hard and fast rules like that because as soon as you have hard and fast rules like that, there are going to be opportunities on the other side where you might have a fantastic opportunity. But in general terms, you, you really don't want to have loss-making companies which are reliant on debt funding because you will get a phone call and the equity placing won't be done uh, at an attractive level. 
you know, we can go out with that. You, you, you're going to get some wrong and they're probably going to end up in that position. And so you've got a decision to make as to whether or not you, you back them and believe they can turn around the, the P&L or if you walk away and, and obviously experience some significant capital loss. Um, but in general, we want to stay away from loss-making businesses that, that, re- that rely on debt. Um, and for the loss-making businesses we do have, so one of the loss-making businesses we have at the moment, it has 40% of its market cap in cash. It could fund its existing losses for three or four years, probably even more. Um, so you know, we're, we're very comfortable on the ability for that business to get to break even before it get, comes anywhere near close to, to running out of capital. So no, look, you, you very rarely see more than two times leverage, um, but we've got a business that, that has fixed debt. Um, it's fixed its debt at very attractive levels. It's got very high margins. So we can be comfortable with that business having a higher level of debt. In terms of, I want to mention the B word Brexit. Have you seen any impact on the, on this microcap market from, from Brexit itself? I know, I know of some other fund managers who have deliberately sort of trimmed their portfolios um, for companies that, that had too much exposure to you know, European trade, for example, because they anticipated it wouldn't necessarily do as well going forward. Yeah, I, I, I think not, not specifically. There obviously have been examples. I think the, the microcaps have been far more impacted by the general sentiment towards the UK. And I, I wouldn't put that down specifically to Brexit, but Brexit did cause a lack of investment in the UK. We, we've then gone through... Um, I guess, several prime ministers who have been quite high profile and, and have, have made quite a lot of noise. And that has undermined the the willingness for people to invest in the UK to hire people to put CapEx down. And I think we've definitely seen that recover in the last six months, maybe. So actually, when we think about the UK, UK corporates are, are pretty cashed up and are, are, are investing. UK consumers have a very strong balance sheet. Um, they've just gone back into real wage growth, which is a clear positive. The headwind to consumers is obviously around um, interest costs. Um, and, um, you know, it'll take a few years to fully impact, but mortgage costs are going to be uh, eating away at um, at discretionary uh, spending over the next few years. But I don't, I, I think it's more around the overall impact to risk sentiment and people being willing to invest in smaller companies that's a much more important driver we haven't seen there are odd examples of companies which have kind of tripped up you know with logistics going cross-border um but they're they're, they're few and far between i think really so brexit's not a massive issue risk risk sentiment and probably access to growth capital so you know we've seen capital markets close now for certainly 18 months if not a bit longer um, and there are growth businesses out there who I'm sure would like to go to the market, raise capital to, to execute acquisitions and to accelerate growth. Um, but they don't want to put their head above the parapet if they don't think they're going to get the, um, the placing away. And so you get into this kind of standoff where, where nothing happens. And, that, and that's not great for innovation or investment or, or growth in general. Do you think, do you, I mean, being topical here, do you think that the recent ARM IPO might have a kind of knock-on effect on sentiment here in the UK and get get people a little bit more bullish about listing? Uh, look, it can't be unhelpful. I think it would have been more helpful if it had happened in the UK. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I think we're, we're starting to see M&A return definitely, and that's helpful. 
um, I think we could well see that escalate into the into the back end of the year because the, the valuation gap between US companies and UK small caps is is just massive. And actually, um, we've got a bid in the portfolio at the moment, which is a kind of life sciences software business in STEM that got bid for um, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago. Um, so we're starting to see that come through. And I think that, you know, will will drive a bit more interest. But I think... You, you really need you really need inflows back into UK assets and back into small cap funds because I'm sure the brokers are ringing round the portfolio managers and saying, look, if we brought something around at the moment, would you be able to invest in it? And they probably say, to be honest, I've got like 10 stocks in my portfolio. I'd love to put capital into it at the moment, but I, I don't have any cash in my portfolio and I'm, I'm trying to manage outflows. Um, and, you know, if we think back to the last set of IPOs that came out in the UK, you know, they've had a pretty tough time. Um, not microcaps, but Trustpilot had numbers this morning starting to recover, but a long way below its IPO price. Moonpig um, had a trading update this morning, another um, IPO from a few years ago, which has had a tough time. So I think, you know, we need to see some recovery in the, the market before we before those that kind of capital markets properly reopen in the in the UK. And if you look at the microcap universe, are there any particular sectors that you really favor? I know, I know you're not necessarily a sector driven investor, but I mean is there anything that looks like a, a standout area for you? Yeah, so so yeah, you're right. We're not sector driven, um, but there there are some clear opportunities. I think tech um, has had a really tough time. So lots of tech businesses, you know, are investing. They're trying to build that, you know, high quality recurring revenue that investors do like. Um, but they've had quite a tough time. A lot of them are break even or loss making, and those businesses have have massively underperformed. So there's some exceptionally cheap tech businesses out there, be it outright tech. FinTech has also um, got some, you know, fantastic growth. Um, prop tech is somewhere, you know, um, sorry, health tech and, and property tech are, are two other kind of subsectors of technology where um, I think it's very interesting. Uh, we've got a big overweight in, in healthcare, and that's mainly through kind of technology plays on, on healthcare. And, and financials are, are really interesting. In microcap, you really need sectors where you don't need loads of capital. So technology is a good example where you don't need to put down a load of capital to be able to generate a business that can grow uh, and make attractive return on capital. There are some capital-like financials as well, um, although probably fewer, fewer between. The sectors we need to kind of stay away from are where scale is a really important enabler of a business and the returns that business can make. So there are some fantastic industrials in the UK, but they've got large capital bases. They're big businesses, and the size of those businesses is critical to them being able to invest and innovate. And so if you're looking sub 100 million, you're probably not going to find too many of those. There are a few. We've, we've got a couple of industrials. So it's more us trying to focus in on where we can make a return or where the fundamentals can work on, on you know, low levels of capital. Because that we, obviously in, 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 in microcaps, you don't, you don't have loads of capital. And what does your, what does your ideal microcap stock look like at the moment? What are the characteristics that would really get you excited for a company? Yeah, so we, we think about um, three things when we're trying to buy a company. So is there really clear shareholder value creation? And for shareholder value creation, we think about either growth, so rapid revenue and profit growth, return on capital, or a combination of revenue of growth and return on capital, and then turnaround stocks, businesses that have got either very depressed 
um, asset backing value or depressed margins. So we're kind of thinking about a, a, a li company lifecycle businesses start off of growth businesses. They can generate high growth. As they mature, they tend to become um, more quality, so the higher return on capital, high and improving return on capital. And then you, you can pick up businesses after a decline phase um, where you are betting that the business can go back to the, the franchise it has been historically. And if you're right, you can kind of get that combination of cheap multiple on the way in and and rapid margin improvement. So with that we're, we're trying to put capital into those three kind of categories. And we've got a bias to growth, understandably, given what, what part of the market we're investing in. So we're about 50% growth, and, and then the split of the balance is between the quality and recovery stocks. So we're looking for that clear shareholder value creation. And then we're looking for a mispricing. That's our valuation discipline. And then we're looking for momentum. So we're looking to um, kind of maximize our, our our ownership of those businesses um, when they've got improving technical and earnings momentum. And I, I touched on that earlier in terms of running our winners and, and making sure we don't sell out too early if if you've got businesses that are getting upgraded and, and uh, have got buyers going after them. So uh, the, the business I mentioned earlier, the, the, the lawyer platform is a fantastic example of something that kind of ticks two of those boxes because it's got growth. The business has delivered um, fantastic revenue growth. I think 25% organic revenue growth over the last eight years per annum. Uh, it's delivered margin improvements. So the profit growth has actually been more like 30, 33% all organic over the last eight years. So that's that would put it, I don't know, top 10% of businesses in the UK in terms of the, the growth um, attributes of that business. Um, but then if you look at the cash flow statement, they, they require very little capital. They had 50 grand of capex on six and a half million of operating cash flow. They paid some tax, everything else they've basically paid back to shareholders. Um, the balance sheet has some goodwill on it, a little bit of working capital uh, and some cash. So the, the incremental return on capital as they grow is extremely high. So that's a fantastic business in terms of high growth and high return on capital. The business trades on about 15 times. That might look quite punchy versus a market which trades on nine, but it generates a lot of cash. And um, actually the shares are currently for £4.50, £5. A couple of years ago, those shares were trading at £9. Um, and that's a massive derating, but it was trading on 45 times earnings at that stage. So the market got ahead of itself. We could see that at the time. We did take some capital out of the name. Um, we added back to it recently um, below four pounds because the market's just gone totally the wrong way. And that's the sentiment cycle that, that plays out, particularly in small caps. Um, the business, remarkably, has, has basically just delivered to expectations or upgraded pretty much since IPO. So 2017 IPO, they missed, they downgraded numbers in, in 2020 for COVID. Um, but actually COVID ended up being an enabler for the business because it showed people that working from home is, is actually quite liberating and, and quite enjoyable. And their, their model works on, on people working from home. So it ended up accelerating the growth of the business. Uh, but there was a short term check in that but if you go back and look at the shares they've they've gone between 160 and nine pounds um over the last seven years and so you know as listed investors we need to be active and we need to try and exploit um that sentiment in the market as well would you say that's your your favorite stock in the fund right now you sound pretty enthusiastic about it or was there is there one that even outshines that i mean it's 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 recent because they had numbers recently and they upgraded and there's not loads of upgrades going around at the moment. So it's, it's top of my mind. 
you know, we, we've got another, I mentioned tech being quite an interesting space. We've got a, um, a relatively early stage growth business. It's um, enterprise software business. So the business is called ActiveOps. They deliver productivity software to banks, um, healthcare businesses with big global um, back offices. So their pitch to these businesses will give you a 15% improvement on your productivity of your back office. So an environment where wages are going up, that productivity improvement gets better. And the way they do that is providing data to management teams to make sure that they're maximizing the capacity of all of their globally distributed teams. So that that was an IPO, one of the IPOs from, from 2021. We participated at that stage, um, but it came on five-time sales. So everyone likes to beat up the UK at the moment and say that we, we don't have a market where growth can be recognized, but five-time sales um, is, is quite a full multiple. Um, we bought in a um, relatively small position at that stage. The business more than halved. It's currently sitting at about a 50% discount to that IPO price. They've delivered expectations. The, the market doesn't like it because it sees it as a loss-making tech startup, but actually the business has been free cash flow positive for the last six years. Uh, they've just gone into P&L um, profitability on their P&L, which should help drive a, a re-rating. Um, and that's one, again, that we've, we took the opportunity to, to kind of build our stake as, as some of the small cap funds decided to, to exit post the IPO. So we built our stake in that over the last year. It's strange how you can see those misconceptions in the market, isn't it? Particularly in micro caps, but you see it even in, in bigger companies where there's just this sort of preconceived idea and you see investors talking about it on forums as well about a particular stock, which is completely wrong but that's wrong in there's enough people sharing that view that it can actually depress the share price quite significantly yeah and i think that's why it's so important to not have a a, a load of rules and you say well i won't invest in anything that's free cash flow negative or pnl loss making or i won't invest in anything that's got more than two times net debt because as soon as you do you're excluding yourself from being open-minded to those opportunities so you could invest in a business that's got two times net debt to EBITDA, but it, it owns a load of freehold assets which haven't been revalued for five years. And you can make a sensible assumption that the, the freehold backing is probably worth more than it is on the balance sheet. So you, you, that, you know, that's, where, that's why we have a, a concentrated fund because you want to really dig into these and make sure that you've got conviction. But ActiveOps is, is probably slightly disappointed on top line growth. It hasn't missed expectations, but it's done kind of low double digit top line growth. And the expectation set from the market, from the buy side, was probably that they were going to see faster acceleration. But the business has been through COVID and going out with a direct sales force to big banks and healthcare businesses, it's quite a hard sell when you're trying to manage COVID and people working from home. Um, you know, I think the backdrop for them now is fantastic because companies are looking to cut costs. They're trying to maximize productivity of the people they do employ. Uh, and clearly, AI is going to be a big enabler of that. And this is a tech business that manages the productivity of uh, employees. And, and they've already come out with a couple of AI modules to, to, to kind of boost their proposition. Now, AI has been a massive driver of, of performance in the market this year, the haves and the have-nots. No one really cares going down as low as, as kind of businesses that have got the market cap of, of active ops. Um, but it, it will be a massive AI winner it hasn't shown that in the in the re-rating yet 
again, you know, it's very strong. So that's a business. It's been free cash flow positive. PNL's been loss making. It's got twenty five percent of the market cap in cash. So we don't have any concerns about that business needing additional funding. And really, my last question relates to mining companies um, because we have a lot of a lot of readers who are in mining stocks. There's a lot of them in the micro cap space. There seem to be a lot of really good stories out there that have just been relentlessly sold into the floor in the last 24 months. Yeah. What's your view of the mining sector and, and is that ever going to make it back? I think it will make it back because I think whenever there's a view that something's never going to make it back, you know, one of the conversations I have with clients at the moment is will small caps ever outperform large caps again? And to me, that seems like a, a very obvious thing that it, it will, but I can sympathize with people who have been the wrong side of that trade for the last you know couple of years thinking when's this going to end so i think whenever you get those that very bearish sentiment negative kind of positioning it probably sets up the next couple of years for those stocks being quite interesting um you know the backdrop to this is capex for mining be it precious metals or or, or the wider commodities uh including oil actually has been extremely low so people have not been investing um, in in new developments, and that will result in us having deficits on on some commodities, and not actually a microcap. I also um, manage a small cap fund. We just bought a, a, a Spanish copper miner, Atalaya Mining, uh, in our small cap fund. We think the outlet for copper is quite interesting. It's a cheap business. It's growing its pro- um, uh, production. It actually owns the 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 original Rio Tinto uh, copper mine in in spain uh in the microcap trust we've got shanta gold um so we quite like gold uh we think that's a well-managed business again growing its growing its production growing its free cash there is a bit of leverage in that one at the moment but they should be able to pay that off pretty quickly with gold at at nineteen hundred dollars we own sylvania platinum for a while we exited that quite well but we made we made good returns on on that one you just you do have to always be very conservative with the metal price or the commodity price that you base your assumptions on because we know these businesses the the commodities can often you know go to very depressed levels um and i think part of the challenge specifically in microcaps is it it is a bit of a scale kind of industry so the lowest cost producers aren't always going to be but they're often going to be those big um those big assets which can have low you know, better capital efficiency and lower costs. And you want to be in the bottom half of the of the cost profile if you if you want to stay away from the really risky assets. So that's one point. The second point is you often get single geography, single asset companies in microcap. And clearly that just comes with with a lot of risk. Anything can happen to those those single sites. They can underperform for six months and then you get the momentum going against you or you can have a coup or you can you know, have a challenge with, with tax with the local government. There's loads of things that always happen to these. But when it's your only asset, it makes a much bigger impact. And I just think over the last, with the exception of maybe a year, over the last five years, risk sentiment in the market's been very poor. And so those, those kind of businesses that are dependent on Growth capital and risk sentiment have really struggled. I know, I know. I said that was my last question, but I just want to ask you one one other thing before we let you go. I know we're running out of time. Do you ever look at the uh, the shareholding of a micro cap at the breakdown between institutional retail shareholders? And are there some companies where you might feel they're too retail? I'm not going to mention any names, but I know somewhere it's like 
massive bias towards the retail market and it's quite hot because it's become one of those really hot names on the market. Yeah, so absolutely we have to look at shareholder registers. That's really important for us to understand one, how are we going to get in? Two, how are we going to get out if we do make our, our the return that we want to make? Um, but also you don't want to buy into a company where you can see there's a big overhang. Uh, you know, management might have exited and still owned stock or founders exited might still own stock. You know, you don't want it to be too concentrated, but you do want to have high quality institutions in there. You also actually want some retail because retail absolutely helps the liquidity and we do want to be able to trade the names we've got. So you don't want registers that are absent of retail, but we need to be cautious of of capital coming in and out very quickly, which tends to be those more retail driven stocks. So um, there are examples of them. We've, we've probably got a few of them. We, we try not to have too many of them because they can, you know, we, we want to, you know, they can re-rate exponentially and, and, and then they can, they can fall quite quickly. So we, we need to be quite careful of that as well. But the, the shareholder, shareholder register analysis is, is, a, is a part of our, our kind of analysis. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank, thank you very much indeed for your time today, George. That's been really insightful and shedding a little bit more light on the uh, UK microcap market for us. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.